there are some things in life that are notoriously untrustworthy. So just straight off the cuff, everyone's got that friend who's always trying to borrow money off you. And they're like, I'll just pay you back tomorrow. It'll be sweet. Just give me a few dollars. And you, and you know that you're not going to see that money again. You're like, all right, here you go. And they'll forget, and they'll forget, and they'll forget, and you'll never see that money again. Um, if you guys are friend, Facebook friends with any of your leaders and you've been paying attention to a volleyball comp that's happening tomorrow, um, you guys would have probably seen some pretty untrustworthy assessment of people's own talents in volleyball over the last week. Um, and so some of you know what that is, and if you don't, there's a lot of bragging and crazy stuff going on. It's pretty untrustworthy self-talk. Um, another classic thing that is completely untrustworthy is the internet when it comes to the death of celebrities. Every year, like, so many celebrities fake die on the internet. Who's seen this happen? Who's been like, oh, no, that guy's dead? No, 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 not. Yeah. Here is here's the top 10 fake celebrity deaths of 2012. Coming in at number 10, Jackie Chan. Does anyone remember that? Jackie Chan? Yep. Fake. Taylor Swift. She's still with us as well. Adam Sandler. Does anyone remember that? Yeah, a couple of years. I don't even know who this is, but Ruby D and Kiki Palmer. I don't know what that is, but cool. I'm glad they're all right. Um, Kanye West fake died this year. President Obama fake died. Robert Pattinson fake died. Um, but it's all right, he's a vampire now and he's fine. Um, Brad, Brad Pitt came in at number two and he fake died this year. And then finally, Eddie Murphy came in as the number one fake celebrity death this year. Did anyone remember seeing Eddie Murphy's dead? Oh, no, it's okay, and you checked it out. Yeah. This happens all the time. And I reckon at one stage or another, if you pay attention to Facebook and Twitter and all the other stuff on the net, you'll get sucked in by this stuff. But over time, you'll learn that actually these kind of things aren't very trustworthy at all. Now, a lot of people will say that's exactly what the Bible is like. People will say that you can't trust the Bible. There's no way of really knowing whether it's true or not, is there? How can we know for sure that it is trustworthy? I mean, it was written so long ago. It's a pretty old book written by people like 2,000 and more years ago, like so long ago. It's got all this outlandish stuff in it, people walking on water, people turning water into wine, people getting healed, angels and demons, people rising from the dead. There's all this strange stuff in the Bible. And so people go, is the Bible really trustworthy? That's a genuine question that a lot of people in the world are asking. Now, if you're a Christian, my guess is you do know that the Bible is trustworthy, but the thing that this passage deals with for us tonight is why. Why is the Bible trustworthy? Now, it doesn't say everything that there is to say about why the Bible is trustworthy, um, but this passage does cover a few key things. And so as we dig into this passage, we're going to be answering that question. Why is the Bible trustworthy? Now, Lucy's already prayed, and so we'll dig straight in this passage. Here's the first thing I want you guys to see. It's in verses 16 to 18 there in your Bibles, and here's what these verses pretty much sum up to say. The Bible is trustworthy, first of all, because it's based on eyewitness accounts. Check out verse 16 to 18 again. This is Peter talking about the things he's been saying. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when, you told you about, when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received glory, um, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And so in verse 16, his point's pretty straightforward. He's saying straight up, we did not just go and make this stuff up. We saw this stuff happen with our own, with our own eyes. He uses the word eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses of these things. He's making a bold statement. Guys, when I'm saying this stuff, I'm not just making it up. It's not some story that I heard off my friend and his uncle saw something happen and maybe we thought this might have... No, no. I was there. We saw this happen. And then in verses 17 and 18, what he actually does is he goes on to give an example of just one of the things that he saw Jesus do and say when he was with Jesus. And so if you look at verses 17 and 18, he gives the example of what? What's what's he recounting there in 17 and 18? It's got a fancy name for this part of Jesus' life. It's the, yeah, it's a funny word. It's the transfiguration. Now, the transfiguration just means like the time that Jesus was transformed so that people could clearly see that he really is God, right? It tells the story of this time when they were up on this mountain with Jesus and Jesus, in the way he looked and, and appeared, was transformed to be clearly seen as God. And Peter's saying, we were there, we saw this thing happen, we remember the transfiguration, and a voice from heaven spoke and it said this stuff, and that's how it all went down. We saw Jesus with our own eyes in all his glory. Jesus really is God. Now, there's Peter's account in verses 17 and 18, we just read it. Let's come over to Matthew chapter 17 and look at just one of the other, there's several accounts of this same event. Come over to Matthew chapter 17. And we're just going to see another account of this same event. So come with me, Matthew chapter 17. I'll read the first verse, uh, eight verses. So we've just heard Peter give his account. We were there, we saw this happen. Here's what happened, blah, blah, blah. Here's another account. Now this one's from Matthew. He wasn't on the mountain. So what that means is he would have had to talk to the eyewitnesses and report what they said happened. And here's his report of what they said happened. After six, uh, verse 1, chapter 17 of Matthew. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, uh, the brothers of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Those guys are two big prophets from the Old Testament. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So he's like seeing these two incredible prophets and Jesus as God. And he's like, I'll make you guys tents, which is pretty funny, I reckon. Um, But then verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them and a voice from the cloud said, just like in 2 Peter, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, But Jesus came and touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except for Jesus. So can you see what Peter is doing here back in in 2 Peter? He's giving an eyewitness account of these events as he he witnessed them. It says in Matthew here that Peter was there and Peter's account in 2 Peter lines up with what Matthew says here. This is an eyewitness account of the things that Jesus has done. 
in this letter in back in 2 Peter, now come back over to 2 Peter, Peter's making some huge claims about reality, about God, about their lives. He's saying huge things. He's saying that Jesus is the one who you can find grace from God and peace from. Jesus is the one who you come to for salvation. Jesus is the one who's died. He rose from the dead and one day he's going to return to judge the world. And so you're to live your life now waiting for Jesus to come back. So Peter's making all these heavy claims about life in this book. And in chapter 1, verse um, 16 to 18, his point is, guys, I'm not just saying this stuff because it sounds like a good idea. I'm telling you this as an eyewitness of the things that Jesus said and did. Um, You can trust the Bible because it's an eyewitness account of Jesus' life. There's one reason we can trust the Bible. It's a little bit like... um, What's happened for me this week as Mumford and Sons have been playing gigs around New South Wales for the last few days. Um, so for me, I didn't get to go and see Mumford and Sons at all, and I wanted to, and that would have been pretty good. And so I've kind of been hearing from the eyewitness accounts exactly what went down. So who did go to that concert? What was it like? What were some of the things you've been... You, that, yeah, what was good about it? Nothing was good? You got nothing. It was loud. It was loud. What songs are played? All of them. All the good ones. All right, here's what's been happening for me. This is very helpful, guys. You guys are the best eyewitnesses ever. All right? here's, here's what's been happening this week. I've been seeing Facebook posts and been hearing from people, and they're like, man, the light show on like Little Line Man was like crazy. They played this song, this song, this song. They didn't play that song, though. All this kind of stuff. Like, I've been hearing all this talk, and so I get this whole picture of this event, what it was like, who was there, what happened, all this kind of stuff, even though I wasn't there. And the way that's happened is by me listening to the eyewitness accounts of the event. I didn't go, but I'm hearing about it through the eyewitnesses. Now, none of us have seen Jesus face to face, I take it. Maybe you have, but I don't, I'm not aware of that. None of us were on the mountain with Jesus when he was transformed in all his glory. None of us saw Jesus' shining face. None of us have had those things happen, but we have the clear, evenly written eyewitness accounts of what did happen there and for the rest of Jesus' life as well. And so here's the first thing I want you guys to get your head around. This This isn't just a book, right, of like Chinese whispers or old wives' tales or something like that. That's not what's going on in the Bible. It's not as if the stories of Jesus' life were something that was kind of blown out of proportion over time. Like It's not like Jesus kind of lived and lived a pretty mundane life and one day he walked near the water and people were like, yeah, he walked near the water. And then someone was like, I heard he walked in the water. And someone was like, I heard he walked on the water. And, so, and slowly like, all these little things kind of spiral out of control until like, there's this crazy legend built up around Jesus. No, the guys who wrote this thing were there. And when they wrote it and started distributing this account of Jesus' life, other people who were alive and around and witnessed Jesus' life were there as well. And so imagine if like, I was like, you know what? They found 12 killer whales in Terrigal Lagoon back in the 90s. Seriously, that happened, man. Killer whales killed like 150 people in Terrigal Lagoon. Like, told you some crazy story about the 90s, right? You guys would just go home and ask your older brother or sister, or you might have even been old enough yourself, and you'd be like, dude, was there a killer whale in the 90s that killed 150 people? 
And people would be like, no, nah, I've not heard of that at all. And, 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 so, and you'd, you'd work out this wasn't true, right? Because like, it, it, I'm, I'm referencing a time that's just happened. This stuff was seen by the witnesses at the time and circulated soon after that, such that if this was just Chinese whispers or old wives' tales, people were like, what are they talking about? Jesus was just a regular dude who walked near the water and all the rest of that stuff. You get the point? That's what this book is. It's an accurate account of the eyewitness accounts. And it's, you get the point. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, it's worthwhile noticing, guys, that knowing that the guys who wrote this stuff down, heaps of them were killed for what they were saying about Jesus. Peter himself was a guy who wouldn't shut up about Jesus. He kept on preaching about Jesus, how he really did die, how he really did rise from the dead and how he was coming back. And, and he wouldn't shut up about this stuff to the point that Peter himself was crucified for the things he was saying about Jesus. The Bible is an accurate account of the events that happened. There's the first thing. Here's the second thing this passage has for us, though. The Bible is something that you can trust because it's a message from God written down by men. It's a message from God himself written down by men. You can see that in verses 19 to 21. Uh, we'll first of all quickly look at verse 19. And, and so he's just talked about the eyewitness accounts. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you'll do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So he starts off by saying, so you've got the eyewitness accounts, and on top of that, we've got the prophets, which are... And a thing that makes us even more certain of the trustworthiness of these claims about Jesus. So the, the prophets, right, he's probably talking about the Old Testament prophets in the Bible when he talks about the word of the prophets. He's saying we've got the stuff that the Old Testament prophets ha- have written down for us. So just like we've got a Bible now that's full of this New Testament stuff and the Old Testament bit, Peter, as he writes this, is aware that the Old Testament exists in written form. They have the written words of the prophets and the New Testament is currently being written as Peter's writing. Does that make sense? Yeah? And he's saying, we've got the Old Testament prophets written down. And he says that it's like a light in a dark place. So what he's saying is basically, this is confusing, so stick with me if you can. But he's saying, it's like the world is a dark place. And we have the Old Testament writings here from the prophets, which are like a light shining in a dark place. So you imagine like a world in pitch blackness. There's no direction. There's no certainty. There's no how do you live in this world. And then you've got this light that shines into that world. Peter's saying that is what the writings of the prophets are like. And then he says a really strange thing in verse 19. After that he says, um, like a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Now, I don't know if you guys looked at this in, Bible, in G-Teams earlier this afternoon, but if you did, you guys might have been like, what the heck? Like, I read this at first, and I, was, I didn't know what I was dealing with. I, it sounded like something out of Lord of the Rings or something. Like, right on to Rohan until morning star rises in your heart. Like, it's just weird stuff. Like, I was like, what is this talking about? Um, there's imagery and stuff going on there, but I reckon the guts of it is this, right? He's saying, you've got the Old Testament like a light in a dark world, but soon dawn's going to come, the sun's going to rise and the morning star will rise in your heart. And then it's like as if you don't need that light at this point. Jesus himself has returned. So I think between the dawn coming and the morning star rising in your hearts, I think all that basically 
means one day there's going to be a time when Jesus will come back, we'll see God face to face, and so the light of the prophets is not really necessary when it's daytime. Does that make sense? I may have lost some of you guys. If you got it, cool. If you don't, you'll probably live. That's all right. Okay. Here's his point, though. He says, you've got the Old Testament like a light in a dark place until Jesus comes back, and so pay attention to this word from God. And then he goes on to explain how it genuinely is a word from God, which is the main point. So here's where we're headed. We can trust the Bible because it's a message from God written by men. Look at what he says next in verse 20. Message from God written by men. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy... Sorry. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying here is kind of effectively the same thing that he's just said about the New Testament. The stuff that's written down in the Old Testament, the prophets and so on, that wasn't just stuff that guys made up on their own interpretation. Instead, verse 21, men were speaking, men were writing and speaking as they were carried along by God through his Holy Spirit. And so for the New Testament and the Old Testament, it's the same. God is speaking as men are writing and saying things in, these, in the Bible. Men are saying this stuff, men are writing this stuff, and yet God is moving with his Holy Spirit through people to bring this into being, which is huge. This is what the Bible is. Now, and I was digging for an illustration to explain what this is like this week, and I honestly couldn't think of something. I couldn't say, the way the Bible's written is like, because there's just nothing like it. And so all I can do is give you some examples of what this isn't. Does that make sense? So what this isn't, first of all, is it's not like just any old Christian book where someone's sitting down and writing down some good ideas. Like, people write Christian books all the time. There's a book called The Shack that is out that people, like one dude just sat down and was like, I think that God is like a black woman named Papa and blah, blah, blah. Like literally, this is a book, you know, you can go buy it if you want. And it's just some guy's random ideas and creative thoughts about what he thinks God is like. And he's written it down and sold it and it's called The Shack, right? That's not what's going on in the Bible. It's not like this is just some guy called Peter who's sitting down and creatively making up some cool stuff and then we're going to say, oh, actually, that's God speaking, when really it was just this Peter guy making up. That's not what's going on. At the same time, it's not as if it's just God dictating verbally to Peter what to write down or the rest of the, the people writing the Bible. So it's not like you've got Isaiah, the prophet, sitting there, and he's like, what's that, God? And God's, you know, or Genesis, and he's like, you know, uh, and then on the seventh day I did this. And he's like, okay, I got that. And then on the eighth day, not eighth day, but the, the sixth day or whatever. And, you know, <clears throat> it's not as if the Bible was dictated down to people so that God was like booming this voice and he's like, yep, got it, next bit. No, that's not how it goes down. Instead, what we've got is we've got a real human author here in 2 Peter, for example, writing a letter. This is a man who's writing a letter, but at the same time, he's a man carried along by the Holy Spirit And so the letter he's writing is a letter that God would have him write with the words that God would have him use. And so it's fully inspired by God, fully God speaking, God's words, and yet Peter's words at exactly the same time. 
You guys catch that? That's what's going on in the Bible. And so in the Bible, we've got a message directly from God written by a man, written by many people, in fact, over all the different books of the Bible. And so there's a second reason why the Bible is trustworthy. Now, there's more to say about that, but that's what this passage alone has to say about why we can trust the Bible. It's based on eyewitness accounts, and ultimately, it's a message from God written down by man. Now, I've got some applications that I want to make on this, but I've actually allowed a bit of time for questions if you guys have got any, but only for a couple minutes, and then I'll wrap up with some applications. Do you guys have any questions about this before we go on? Any questions about this stuff? The Bible, how it works, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so the message is a translation of the Bible. So what you've got in front of you is a translation of what was originally either Hebrew, small little bits of Arabic, and Greek text. So most of the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, most of it's written in Greek. So no one hears the original words as Jesus said them, because if they were that, you wouldn't be able to understand it because he'd be speaking a different language, right? What you've got is a translation from those languages and the message is an example of a translation of the Bible from those texts but it's a a pretty loosely translated one. So some Bible translations will like get a small little phrase and translate that from Greek into English and they're like sweet and they'll do that like phrase for phrase like a few words for a few words thing to to make it as directly from that original text as possible. The message is kind of like read a paragraph or two and then turn that into like words that make sense to me. So it's a lot more loosely translated. Anyway, any other questions? If you guys, if I've caught you by surprise, but you do have questions, you can ask them later on after. Yep, yep, yep. Um, So the thought with Genesis is that some people would say it's likely written by Moses, who is an Old Testament prophet, but clearly at the same time Moses wasn't back there when it got created. So you've got information contained in Genesis about the world and history and leading up to that time, and you've got Moses in the future reflecting back on that time, writing about that time. So it's inspired by God because Moses is a God-inspired prophet. In terms of how Moses would have pulled all that information together and got all his insights into that time, it's a bit of a mystery. Perhaps God revealed it to him in some interesting, fantastic way. It's also most likely the case that the history of Israel leading up to the time when people like Moses were writing would have been recorded orally. So they would have been speaking their history to each other because they weren't writing it down. Um, which is where that history and the insights from that time would have built up in their verbal stories as they told them to the point that Moses writes it down. Now, when I say, like, verbally told oral history, you guys will be like, well, that doesn't sound very reliable, but it, it is, it genuinely is. There's all sorts of studies into sociology and how oral histories transmit through time, and they're very, very good at keeping those stories accurate and stuff as well. So there's, 
yeah, it's mysterious, but the bottom line is if Moses the prophet was writing as an inspired author, that's how that kind of comes from. Does that make sense? Yeah. On, like, there's some things about the Old Testament that are quite confusing. You're like, man, the Old Testament's a weird book, and there's lots of stuff here that are quite strange. Um, there's lots of good reasons as you dig into these things, but cutting through all of that is the fact that Jesus, who I'm convinced died and rose again, turns back and looks at the Old Testament and says, this is the word of God. If I trust Jesus, that he really is God, and he's speaking the truth, when he says that about the Old Testament, I trust that as well. Although there's plenty of evidence within the Old Testament as well. Does that make sense? Anyway, um, we'll go last question, then I'll finish up. But you can ask questions later after we do swarm. Yeah. Uh, that is a big question, but specifically, did you have something that you weren't sure about, or? Um, yeah, the role of the Holy Spirit through the Bible. In this context, in this verse, what's going on here is that these men are inspired to speak God's word as the Holy Spirit is, is speaking through them. So, in the Old Testament, the way the Holy Spirit was particularly manifesting itself on Old Testament believers was that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They do all sorts of crazy things like kill people with ox horns and blah, blah, blah. But they would also prophesy and speak God's words as an outpouring of the Holy Spirit's effect on them. And I think it's saying that these guys have been influenced by the Holy Spirit to speak God's words as prophets. Um, but that looks a bit different today and what the Holy Spirit does with us. But that's another, you know, we'll talk about it another time. Anyway, ask questions later. But I wanna, I'll give you three pieces of application and we're going to head next door. Three things you want to get your head around. First thing is this. This stuff actually massively shapes the way we're going to read the Bible and engage with it. Because if the Bible really is a message from God written by men, it actually means that our job as Bible readers is to sit down and understand what these, these writers are telling us, which is why we look at things like context and what's going on here and what does he mean by this word and what was he trying to say by this phrase. And we actually want to understand what the authors, the human authors of the Bible are saying we need to understand what they're saying and not just kind of make up weird spiritual meanings for what we think it says. We want to understand the intent of these human authors to understand the Bible's message. But at the point where we engage with the Bible and understand what these guys were trying to communicate, at that point we're actually hearing a message from God to us through these human authors. Does that make sense? Understand what these human authors are trying to communicate and from that we'll be getting a message from God. Secondly... When something is proven to be trustworthy, trust it. In the Bible, it contains incredible promises about life now and particularly the future, your final destination, whether that's going to be heaven or hell, depending on who your trust is in. And so is your trust in Jesus? Have you heard Jesus' words in the Bible, seen that you need to put your trust in him, repent, make him your king and your saviour, and trusted him at that? Because the Bible's call is that we need to trust God's word, trust Jesus, and we'll be saved. And so, guys, the Bible's trustworthy, but are you trusting it in all levels of your life? But are you trusting it for your salvation? Thirdly, this is really important. Verse 19 says that we have these trustworthy words, blah, blah, blah. And so you do well to pay attention to it. Pay attention to it like it's your only light in an otherwise dark world. Imagine being surrounded by light on every front. You can't see a thing. It's pitch black. 
and all you've got is this one light, this one torch or candle or whatever it is, man, you are going to pay attention to that thing. You're going to do everything to hold on to it, to not let it go, to not break it, to, to, to cherish this light. Well, if this Bible is our only light in an otherwise dark, directionless, pitch black world, pay attention to God's word. Listen to it, obey it, treasure it, read it. Don't just make it a habit of a thing you kind of do in life where you're like, Friday night, that's the time when I sit and listen to some person talk about the Bible for a while and then I go do other stuff. No, no, listen to it like it's God's word. Read it in your G-teams like it's God's word. Cherish it, love it, read it on your own because it is your only light in an otherwise dark world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you for just some of the reasons here in this passage why your word is trustworthy. Father, I pray for those of us here who've still got questions about these things, who um, are not sure and want to think these things through further. Lord, I pray that those people would not rest until their questions are answered. Please help them to seek out, um, seek out those answers and, and ultimately put their trust in you, the one who speaks these living words for salvation. Father, help us to love your word and cherish it as a light in a dark place. Amen.